We're in a series where we're talking about transformation. Um, we're talking about, about some of the things that matter to us, some of the things that are most important to us as a church, uh, as we talk about what it means for us to be transformed. And last week, as we talked about that, we talked about the idea of, of radical transformation, the idea that as we journey forward in faith, part of what we should be experiencing is radical transformation. And as a church, we have some things we've written down, and I'm going to read one of those later on, but we have some things that we've written down that we believe are some of the commitments we make together in pursuit of this idea of, of becoming disciples, of being made into disciples, of making disciples, um, some commitments that we believe are important. Today we'll talk about the idea of, of what it means to be personally transformed, for you and I to experience transformation as individuals. And, well, much of thinking about today ended up having me thinking about my own story and my own journey and my own kind of faith and walk. As a kid, I chose to become a Christian. And as is true for many of us, I didn't really know what I was getting into with this whole following Jesus thing. I think that's true whether you're 50 and choose to follow Jesus or whether you're five or six like I was. Five or six years old, and I did not experience some immediate radical transformation like we talked about last week. Reality was, at five or six years old, I was a pretty good kid who loved to go to church already. And that continued to be true as I was slowly growing up in this faith thing, slowly trying to figure out what it meant to follow after Jesus. And as I'd made this faith decision, I continued to get more and more involved in the life of the church. I, I tried to do the things that I was supposed to do. I read devotional books. As an elementary school kid, I had a subscription to that Our Daily Bread. Have you seen that? I think they create it for folks that are uh, about five decades older than I was at that point. Uh, but I got it because my grandmother had one. Um, so that's what she used. So that's what I used. So I, I read that devotional book and I read the Bible some and I prayed some. But usually my prayers had to do with just mentioning the things that I wanted God to do for me or that I wanted God to do for the people that I loved. I tried to obey my parents better, but I probably didn't do a very good job of that. I tried to be nicer to my siblings, but I definitely wasn't much nicer than before I would say I was a Christian. They recently had a conversation where they decided I was actually the mean one of the three of us. I didn't actually know that was true, but apparently. As I got older, my fascination with the church and with the things of God continued to increase. So I started leading more and more around the church and in other Christian organizations. As a matter of fact, at one point, I think I was in high school, we actually created a brand new uh, organization. We never got real status, but it was this combination of all these school ministries working together. And there was this real heart for moving into those kinds of things. I loved church so much as a kid that when I got in trouble, that's what mom and dad would ground me from. I was weird. I mean, I was a weird kid, but I loved the things that happened around the church. And this week as I read Philippians chapter 3, I said, you know, I probably felt about myself kind of the way that I think Paul, when he was Saul, felt about himself. That God sure was lucky to have me on his team. 
In chapter 3 of Philippians, it says in verse 4, Paul says, Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, I... Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I had this love for the things of God. And that love for the things of God and my aptitude for leadership around the church propelled me into this place of moving towards ministry. And when I was 18, I, I mentioned this last week, I had this really powerful experience where I knew that God was calling me into this space of, of spending my life in vocational ministry. I was standing on the side of a mountain. Not far from where Scott went to college, on the same mountain actually where that college is. And I knew that it was happening, but I even tested God a bit with that. And I demanded that God bring another kind of a similar experience in order for me to believe that it was true and that something was happening and, and that I would respond to that. And when that happened, because it did, and I don't necessarily encourage you to do that, but when that happened and it did, I decided it was time to share with my church that I was going to spend my life in ministry. And... When I shared that with the church, no one at the church was surprised. They all said, well, we thought this is what you would do with the rest of your life. And for me, there was this combination that came in them sharing that of being kind of encouraged. Well, great. They saw things that, that I'm picking up on and learning. And at the same time, if I'm honest, it was also uh, a bit of a letdown. Because I wanted them to be really excited about this thing that was happening. Because I was still searching for things that made me really, really excited about my faith. For the next 20 years, I continued to move forward with these commitments that I made to Jesus and to ministry, to the things that I believed were important and that I knew I wanted to be a part of. And, and as I talk about this, I, I recognize that, that I, I'm not perhaps painting the most uplifting picture of my own faith journey, and that's somewhat with intention, but I also want it to be really clear. I, I am incredibly thankful for the journey of faith that I've walked. I worked to love Jesus as much as I could figure out how to do so in those 30 plus years of trying to be a Christ follower. And God has done some incredible works in my life. I will forever be grateful for the journey of faith that I've lived and that I've been on. But at the same time, there were some struggles that took place. Because no matter how much I learned the Bible, no matter how much I grew into church leadership positions, no matter how much I did the religious stuff that I thought I was supposed to do, no matter how much I tried to live as an example of faith, something seemed to be missing. My, my journey has been spectacular. Yes, I lived as a missionary in Africa for a couple of years. I've served in all kinds of incredible ministry roles. I love ministry and I have loved doing these kinds of things for 25 or more years now. I've experienced incredible life change in my own life and in the life of others as they've come to know and follow Jesus. And in some of that, there was this reverberating of, of verse 4 from chapter 3. If Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I have truly lived an incredible journey of faith. And yet, through this journey, there is this strange nagging that has come up in my soul over and over again, believing that something was missing. 
I've loved Jesus and the things of the church, and yet there has been this hope, this longing, this desire in me to experience radical transformation like we talked about last week. And it always seemed like something that was just beyond reach. I would dabble in quiet times, having seasons where I did a lot of it and seasons where it barely happened at all. And even in those, it never brought any real fulfillment. I would throw myself into ministry opportunities thinking that I would eventually find the right one and this would move everything forward. Everything would now be flowing the way that it's supposed to. In in, in really desperate times, I would even chase after clearly sinful pursuits alongside ministry pursuits. Because like many of us, I was searching everywhere that I could search to find what it was that seemed to be missing. Because even in this journey of faith, something seemed to not fully be there. I read stories of others who seemed to know God in ways that I didn't know God but wanted to. I read in the scriptures and we can read stories in the scriptures of these incredible interactions that took place between God and God's people over and over again. These things took place. And as I would read these stories, whether they were stories in the scriptures or they were real life stories or they were stories that someone was telling or it was about a biography. There was this this bit of longing in my soul. I wanted to know God in these ways. I wanted to experience the Holy Spirit moving, much like we see in the book of Acts or we see throughout Paul's letters that he's written to the church. I wanted this kind of experience. I wanted to know what it was like to love Jesus that deeply. I wanted a relationship with Jesus. And I talked about one and I preached about one and I read about one. And obviously there was a relationship with Jesus in me. I had made a decision to become a Christian. And in so many of our lives, we talk about that being what it means to have a relationship. This idea of inviting Christ into our heart. And and if you've grown up around the church like I did, all of this language sounds really, really familiar, right? I'm, I'm maybe not the only one. And yet, if I'm really, really honest, the relationship that I felt like I was living with Jesus didn't feel much different than the kind of relationship I might have with an imaginary friend. I was doing all that I could to move things forward, and it felt as if God wasn't doing God's part in the relationship. I would speak through prayers or whatever means, and it seemed like no response was coming back. It's like I would go and play ball and I would throw the ball and no one would ever throw it back. It felt like this one-sided pursuit of mine. And I couldn't figure out what was wrong. Recently I read a quote from Dallas Willard's book called Hearing God. It says this. It's on the screen if you want to read along. It says, not aloud, but if you want to see the words. Sometimes it's hard to follow what I'm saying, I know. So sometimes, today, it seems that our personal relationship with God is treated as no more than a mere arrangement. Our understanding that Jesus and His Father have about us. Our personal relationship then only means that each believer has his or her own unique account in heaven. Which allows them to draw on the merits of Christ to pay their sin bills. Oh, as I read this, I thought, wow, 
Part of the struggle is that my relationship with Jesus was never a relationship. It was merely an arrangement that provided for my eternity. Willard's book also says this. It says, Today, I continue to believe that people are meant to live in an ongoing conversation with God, speaking and being spoken to. I believe that this can be abundantly verified in experience when rightly understood. God's visits to Adam and Eve in the garden, Enoch's walks with God, and the face-to-face conversations between Moses and Jehovah are all commonly regarded as highly exceptional moments in the religious history of humankind. Aside from their obviously unique historical role, however, they are not meant to be exceptional at all. Rather, they are examples of the normal human life God intended for us. God's indwelling his people through personal presence and fellowship. And when I read that, it's as if my soul breathed a sigh of relief. And I went, yes, this is the God that I want to know. This is the kind of relationship that I've longed for. Not exactly the kind I've ever talked about, but the kind that I've longed for to be true. This is the kind of relationship I want. I am tired of my arrangement. I want to know God. I want to know God's love. I want to fall deeply in love with Jesus. And the Bible gives us evidence that God has done this in the past. And we can read stories, some of them historical and some of them even modern day, about people who are experiencing this kind of life with Jesus. This kind of of, of back and forth with Jesus. This kind of moving of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And as I read those and as I think about those and as I admire those somewhat from afar, I wonder if perhaps God can and even wants to know me in this same way. If perhaps it's true that I can have this kind of relationship with Jesus. If perhaps it's true that you can have this kind of relationship with Jesus. And church, I believe it is true. I believe it is possible. I believe that this is God's greatest desire for us. Over the last few years, I have experienced the most substantial spiritual growth in my own life as, as ever in my journey or in my walk. And I have to give you huge thanks for that. Partially because of the investment that you have made in the opportunity that I've had to go back and forth to Chicago and be a part of the transforming community. And the ways in which that experience has given me guidance and tools and encouragement to fall deeply in love with Jesus. And I believe that because of that experience and some other things that are happening in my own life, that my life is being changed. That I am coming to know Jesus like never before. That transformation is taking place inside of me. That I am becoming a better husband. 
that I'm becoming a better father, that I'm becoming a better friend, that I'm becoming a better pastor, that I am being formed into the image of Christ. And I think that Paul was trying to speak of a similar experience in, in Philippians. I want to call it Psalms over and over again. In Philippians chapter 3, when in verse 7 we see him start to say, I once thought that these things, all the things he'd done, all the activities he'd been a part of, all the things he was supposed to do, I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Paul is giving us insight into his own journey towards personal transformation, into the change and the transformation that took place in his journey. And I think that Paul is saying it, it, it doesn't come through our own efforts. It doesn't come through our own pursuits. It doesn't come through our own goodness. It doesn't come through our performing all of the right religious activities. Let me quote Willard's book once again as he says this, Spiritual formation into Christ-likeness, true change of character, comes from living in relationship to God. Paul tells us that he believes there's absolutely nothing greater Nothing is of more value than deeply knowing Jesus. And for years I've read this passage. Philippians chapter 3 was a favorite of mine when I was in high school. But for some reason, as I read about what he talked about and this idea of knowing Christ, for me, too often, it was about, it was, it was knowing about Jesus. Believing that if I knew enough information about Jesus, that something was going to change or be transformed. But as Paul was writing, he wasn't talking about knowing about Jesus. Paul was writing about the friendship that he had with Jesus. Paul was writing about the relationship that he had with Jesus. Saying that he knew Jesus deeply, even though he had never physically stood face to face with Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, I think, we get this magnificent experience that took place for Saul when he became Paul. This, this opportunity that he had to meet with Jesus, but this was not the physical presence of Jesus. This was after the ascension. This is after Jesus was gone. This is not two men that stood side by side and walked together like, like Jesus did with Matthew and with Mark and with Luke and with the other apostles. This was something different and unique. But Paul, in the same way that they did, knew Jesus intimately, had a relationship with Jesus. And said that this is the most significant, the most valuable, the most transforming experience in life. In verse 10 he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. And over the last few years, I am coming to recognize that this missing something from my life is that I knew a lot about Jesus and the things of Jesus. But I'd never actually taken time to come to know Jesus. And today... I live in a place and a space when I can say to you that I 
want this to be the truest thing in my life. This is the greatest desire for my life right now. And I think will be, is supposed to be all the rest of my life. That I fall more and more in love with Jesus every single day. And that along the way, I have the opportunity to introduce others to this same kind of love relationship with Jesus. And it's truly my hope that you have this same kind of longing in your soul. Whether or not it's your experience as of yet. Whether or not it's a part of your journey as of yet. That you have this same kind of longing in your soul that you would know Jesus in this kind of deep way. And that you would be falling more and more in love with Jesus. Not just the things of Jesus, but actually falling in love with Jesus. Friends, radical transformation that we've been talking about only comes from us being deeply in love with Jesus. So as we talk about personal transformation this morning, pers- radical personal transformation, I, I want to I talk about three words. I want to leave you with three words. If you get nothing else that I say, just hold on to these three words. If you're not really a note taker, but maybe you want to be for a moment, then just write down these three words. Love, presence, and surrender. We've been talking about love, about this idea of falling deeply in love with Jesus. And I really believe that that is the key to transformation in us. That that is what happens. But how do we get there? What does that mean? What does that look like? And I'm coming to understand more and more that the greatest way for us to come to fully know God and to fall, to fully know Jesus and to fall deeply in love with Jesus is all about our willingness to be in the presence of Jesus. In the book, Desiring God's Will, David Benner writes this. He says, the life Jesus came to bring flows out of the Spirit of God, energizing and transforming our spirit. It's a life based on transfusion. God's Spirit transfusing my spirit. God's deepest desires, longings, and dreams becoming mine. This is the way and the only way to the freedom and fulfillment Of preferring God's will to mine. It's to intentionally making myself present with Jesus that the Holy Spirit is able to do this work of personal transformation. Me being present with Jesus, because the reality is of Jesus, Jesus is always available and willing. Always available to us, always willing to bring this work of transformation, to know us more fully, to to love us and to be loved by us. But Jesus is waiting for us to show up with the same kind of willingness, with that same kind of availability. And I must choose it. You must choose it. We've written a statement inside our Constitution as we talk about the commitments that we believe are a part of, of living as disciples as the body of Christ that we call Valley. We've written this in our Constitution. I'm going to read it word for word, even if we might alter some now. Word for word, it says this. It says that we commit to whole life discipleship. 
through practicing spiritual disciplines, growing in knowledge and faithfulness to Christ's likeness, and adopting a way of life that encourages becoming all God has created each member to be. Now, even though we've written that and we've called it part of our commitments and we've said, hey, if you're a part of Valley and you're going to be a member or you're going to commit to what we're doing, you commit to this. Here's the truth. Valley cannot make you spend more time in the presence of Jesus. It doesn't matter that we've written this down or asked you to do so or asked you to make a commitment. Valley cannot do it. I cannot make that happen for you. And the real kicker is this. God will also never force it. Because rarely will God compete for our attention. You and I must choose to place ourselves in the presence of Jesus. And we do that through deciding that we will participate in these things that we call spiritual disciplines or we call them sacred rhythms. Or there's all kinds of language that's around those. I hope you recognize that we keep coming back to this place over and over and over again. And I know we don't like the word disciplines, and maybe there's a better word. Sacred rhythms is the one that I've really grabbed hold of and gravitated to. Just recently, we were talking about this in our Connect um, time that we gathered together. But, but this practice of spiritual disciplines, this, this idea that these, these disciplines or these rhythms are consistent, intentional, repeated activities to place ourselves in the presence of Jesus. Last week, we talked about a garden. And the idea that in radical transformation, our work in the garden is to to make the environment right so that God can grow what God desires to grow. And it's through these disciplines that we nourish the soil of our soul so that the Holy Spirit can grow the fruit that God desires from us. It's in disciplines like silence and solitude, like scripture reading and prayer and worship and Sabbath and stewardship and generosity and missional living. Long walks in the park alone with God. There's a, there's a multitude of possibilities for how you and I can be intentional about placing ourselves in the presence of Jesus so that Jesus can do the incredible work of transformation in our souls. And all of these are methods of creating intentional space. Benner says this, says spiritual disciplines should always be means to spiritual ends. It never ends, they never ends in themselves. They're places of meeting God that do not have value in and of themselves. To treat them as if they did is to develop a spirituality that is external, self-energized, and legalistic. Man, we talk a lot about the disciplines because we love them and we believe that in them transformation takes place. And yet, one of the things that I have been missing most of my own faith life is that quiet times do not actually make me more holy. Scripture memorization does not make me more holy. Hours and hours of prayer does not make me more holy. Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, is what makes me more holy. The practices create a space of surrender for Jesus to do the work that Jesus has to do inside of me. 
We talked about this last week. Radical, we talked about obedience. And, and again, I'll say that, that radical transformation is evidence through our obedience. And yet the real desire of God is for more than that. The real desire of God is, is for more than rule followers, more than people who just follow all the rules and do everything the way that we're supposed to do. What, what Jesus actually desires from you and me is that we would surrender our lives to God and to God's purposes for us. The scriptures tell us over and over again that we were created with purpose, that we were created with intention, that we were created with these incredible aspirations for who we would become and for what would happen in us and through us. And personal transformation comes in our willingness to be fully surrendered to God and God's will for our life. And we're only willing to surrender because we have fallen deeply in love with Jesus. So we trust Him with our life. We trust Him with our future. And we only find our way towards that kind of love, towards being deeply in love with Jesus through more and more time in the presence of Jesus. Benner's book again, and I know it's just the two that I've kind of leaned on today, Willard's book and Benner's book, but Benner says this about surrender. It says, finding ourselves by first losing ourselves simply seems too risky for most of us. We want to make a bargain with God. Surely, any reasonable God would recognize that something is better than nothing. And allow us to continue to play our game of trying to do our own will while fitting as much as possible of God's will within it. I don't know if it sounds familiar to you, but I feel like I've lived this. It seems like such a reasonable first step towards complete surrender. I'll give portions. I'll do what I want to do and and wiggle in parts of what God desires for me. Bring in bits and pieces of what God desires. But here's the reality. Surrender doesn't happen in steps. To know and to follow Jesus is an all or nothing practice. Transformation, radical transformation. The kind of transformation that we see, that our spouses see, that our children see, that our neighbors see. That the world sees in us will never happen if we sort of know Jesus. It will absolutely never happen if we mostly love Jesus. It will never happen if we almost surrender to God and the things of God. Valley. Radical transformation will never, ever, ever happen in your life or my life if the only time we spend with Jesus is inside this building. So Paul spoke to the church in Philippi and he called them to join him on his journey. And he said this, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race. And receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Like Paul, I don't have it all figured out. I have such a long way to go. But I say to you this morning, not out of pride or out of arrogance, but out of a a, a form of personal testimony, I am falling more and more in love with Jesus every day, and it is changing me. 
And I believe that that can only come through my commitment to being in the presence of Jesus, which is what's making surrender possible. So, so again, not as a way of bragging, not, but, but as a way of, of sharing with you what is beginning to happen in my own life. Let me share with you some of what my rhythms are starting to look like. And they change from time to time, which I actually think is ideal. If Callie and I went on a date and all we ever did was go watch the exact same movie every time and go eat the exact same meal every time, I would grow bored with that really, really quickly. Jesus understands that we exist that way. Believe it or not, he created us that way. So from time to time they change, but right now here's what's happening with me is that every morning Jesus and I have a cup of coffee. Well, I have a cup of coffee and Jesus hangs out with me. Maybe Jesus drinks coffee too, I'm not sure. But it helps me to think that he does. So we sit and we drink a cup of coffee together. And I usually start that time each morning with some intentional time of silence. My goal is 10 minutes. I don't always make it, but that's the goal that I, that I reach for in that beginning time of silence. And in that time of silence, it's, it's not to get a little more sleep or to have time to drink some extra coffee or to not pay attention. It's to listen for God and what it is that perhaps God desires to speak to my soul. And then I take a few moments reading some scripture. And I have used as my guide recently the passages from the Revised Common Lectionary, which are the same passages that we pull our invitation to worship that we do each morning. We use one. There are typically four. And each day I will go through one of them and I will read that passage. I hope always that that passage is really, really short. The long ones get really hard for me. I want the really, really short ones so that I can read them slowly and repeatedly. And I can let those same few verses. It it gets hard when it's 10 or 15 verses. But when it's 2 or 3 or 4 or 5, those same verses can speak over me over and over and over and over again. The same way that we try to do with people we love. To speak the same words over and over and over again. To remind them. To let them hear. And as I read them, I'm not looking for any information. My only desire is to hear a word that perhaps God wants to speak to Chad on that specific morning from that specific passage. And then I spend some time praying. And I don't actually pray from a list. I pray as things come to mind and as God brings things to my mind that stir on my heart. And sometimes that means I pray for some of you. Sometimes when I know why and sometimes I have absolutely no idea why, but you come to mind so I pray for you. And sometimes that's about my family that I pray for as they come to mind. Again, sometimes I know why, sometimes I have no idea why. Sometimes it's for all kinds of other people that begin to drift across my mind and I mention them and I lay them before Jesus. And sometimes there are these things that are longings and stirrings in my own soul or my own desires and each of these things... I simply lay before Jesus and move on. And sometimes I use some written prayers. Some prayers that other great fathers and mothers of the faith that have gone before us have have written down so that, that when we speak those prayers, we don't have to think about what it is that we want to say to God. We just get to echo the great words that they've already given us. So we read over those as our words to God. That's what the Lord's Prayer serves as. They're really great sermons. I preach them. I might preach it again on how to take from the Lord's Prayer bits and pieces of ideas, of, of themes you pray for. But what Jesus actually said in the Lord's Prayer is not pray things like this. Jesus actually said, pray this prayer. Pray these words. So when we pray that together in worship, it's because Jesus said, pray this. 
Not as the only way to pray, but as a great way for us to pray. As a great example and model to pray those words, to echo those words together. Scott mentioned that word creedal this morning. It's those things that we pray and speak together as the community. So sometimes we can use that or other written prayers. And then right now, sometimes, not every morning, but sometimes I spend a few moments journaling. What's happening? What's happening in my day? Where have I seen God's face over the last few days? Where have I experienced true joy? Where have I experienced pain in my soul? And what is it that I need to hear from God in that? I mentioned the Lord's Prayer in the the Revised Common Lectionary Passages. Inside your bulletin, we actually put those in there for you today. And for the next couple weeks, we're going to do the same thing. And if you really like it, let me know and we'll keep doing it as just a guide for a few passages of Scripture. There's only four. Isn't that awesome? Because in devotional books, when there's seven, I get really frustrated when I get a day or two behind. Because I'm the kind of guy that feels like I have to catch up. So I start reading the old ones, and then I can't ever figure out how to catch up, so eventually I just quit. When there's only four and there's seven days in a week, if you miss a day, it's okay. But I'm finding in me this longing to spend more and more mornings with Jesus. And that didn't used to be true in my own experience with quiet times. And I don't have it all figured out. But Valley, I want you to hear from me this morning that I am pressing forward into personal transformation. And I want to invite you to come too. I want to invite you to join me, to join us, to join this great calling that Paul has called us forward to into being radically transformed as individuals. Will you come with us? Will you surrender? Will you be present? Will you commit to transformation and to falling deeper and deeper in love with Jesus every single moment of every single day? Because I believe that the scriptures tell us that if we will show up... Jesus will do something we never even dreamed possible in us and through us and with us. Radical transformation will take place. And that's been the longing of my soul that I didn't even know I was missing. What I've come to find out is in this relationship, it's not so much that I was in a relationship with an imaginary friend, that I was doing my part but God wasn't showing up. The actual truth is... God was always showing up and I was choosing to play by myself on the other side of the park. The invitation was always open and I never chose to respond. Will you? Pray with me. Jesus, it is the longing of my soul that I would come to know and love you more deeply today than I did yesterday. More deeply this afternoon than I did this morning. More deeply tomorrow than I do today. So Jesus, give me the willingness to receive your invitation to come and play in the sandbox with you. To come and spend time in your presence so that you can do the work that you long to do in my soul.
God, may we be willing to come and join you so that you can do the work that you long to do in each of our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.